0: Father, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, that we can come into a space and just be raw and honest with you. God, this week there were so many things that occupied the place that you rightfully desire, And our mind has been captured by so many different distractions. God, in this moment, we just want to rest and just enjoy what you have to say to us. Why would we come here what a man has to say? How can another man persuade other men and women to live beyond this world? Only someone who has defeated the grave, only someone who can speak to being the Alpha and Omega that is someone I want to hear from because he is able to give me insights as being the creator of the world. So, God, we just ask right now that you'd speak to us. God, we pray that you would still be in the business of using a body, using people, and using someone's lips to speak what you have to say. God, you've already given us your word. But now, God, we pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit, speak to us. Speak to us. God, I pray that we are all praying that prayer right now. God, speak to me. Speak to my situation. Speak into my season. Speak into the very condition of my heart. And I trust Holy Spirit, and I expect that the person of the Spirit will meet us there. In Jesus' name, we pray, amen. Amen. Well, thanks uh, for coming out today. I am the pastor, James, and uh, if I haven't had a chance to meet you, I hope to get a chance to meet you right after church. We'll give you an opportunity uh, to meet us in what we call the Backstage Pass. We'll tell you about that in a little bit after the service. do you want to uh, <coughs> help you be aware of our December 20th service, which is our Christmas service. Um, we're calling it Hope Revealed, and uh, we really pray as we've gone through this series and we've talked about... Being stuck and being in seasons and situations where you're not really sure how God is going to come through, uh, I think there's a lot of people who are struggling with hope today. And so we pray that you get a chance to come out to that Christmas service. That's what's on December 20th. We'll also have the kids. The kids will be doing some music and uh, it'll be a fun time. Well, we're in this series uh, called Stuck, and the reason why we're in it is because. If I were to ask you the question, where do you see yourself in the next five years, that's a question that for a lot of us is exciting. It's it's anticipation. But if I were to ask you a question and flip that around and ask you, are you where you thought you would be right now? Is life what you thought it would be right now? For many of us, that'd be a painful conversation. And that'd be a conversation that we would need to unpack. And if you're not there in this season of your life now, most likely you will reach that point. Because we all dream. We're all told different things as we're young people, that we can be anything. And then we hear verses like, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. So we begin to dream and we begin to believe that God is going to help bless this dream that I have. And he wouldn't have given me the desires if he wasn't going to be able to to see it fulfilled. And yet, for many of us, life meets us with some disappointment. So the question we're asking is, what do you do when life with God hasn't met your expectations? What do you do? Not how do you feel. You most likely feel jealous. You most likely are struggling, some of us, with resentment. Some of us may feel disappointed, and you're tempted, even though you don't want to, you're tempted to compare your life to other people's lives, and they have the family you thought you would have at this point, and they have the health that you thought you would have at this point, point. and that issue of comparison is just is at your soul, and so you're disappointed in you, and in some ways, you may be disappointed in God himself. And if you're not there in this season of life, there's a very good chance at some point you'll get there. And so that's what this series has been about. But as we, as we preach on this, um, you know, I've had a lot of feedback from people. And, and a lot of people have said, this is exactly where I'm at. And I think if we were to get to the raw truth of some of these feelings that we have, I think that we have to be honest and say to ourselves, where I'm at right now, I cannot see how anything good can come from this. And then sometimes we're honest and we ask ourselves, or really say to ourselves, there's really no point to continuing. But if we were to get into the quietness of your heart, there's some dark thoughts you probably have had. There's some dark seasons that you've been in. My daughters—they have this new new word. They say, uh, "Seriously." So I, so I say, "Go, you know, go to bed." They're like, "Seriously?" You know, that's their new thing. I thought about it, and even though we might not say it, I think that's kind of touches at the way we feel. Like you walk into work, and it's the same boss that you had, and they're kind of asking you to do things that you know you can't do, and they're like, they don't like you, but they don't really say it, and you're like, "Seriously?" Seriously, like, God, this is the relationship of, uh, like, work relationship I was going to have? I mean, and and we said this last week. I mean, you're you're not married, but people that you know are married, and then you go home for Thanksgiving, and people are like, oh, you're a good catch, and you're just like, geez, this is the question that racks my soul. Don't ask me why I'm not married. This is the whole thing. Like, I'm asking myself that question. (laughs) Or you're in your marriage. And, you, and there's three versions of them, and you know it. And you're just walking in, and you're like, "What am I going to deal with today?" I already know. I already know this song and dance, and marriage is not what you thought it would be. And then someone told you having kids makes it better, and we all know, praise God, that's a lie. Then you had the kids, and you're just like, "Oh man!" And life isn't just what you thought it would be. And there's a very good chance you're disappointed. So that's why we're in this series. And if you're not there today, prepare your heart, because secretly there may be another circumstance you're setting your mind up that you presume will be your good news, like marriage will be your good news, or kids will be your good news, or a new apartment will be your good news. So I just want to prepare you now. For when you move in, or or when you get with her, or get with him, or you end up being as academically prowess as you thought you could be, and then you get the job and you don't like it. I just want to set you up now with the real good news. One of the things we said last week was that God's silence does not equate, oh, the first week, God's silence does not equate to his absence. And we talked about John, John, who Jesus said not only he loved, but he also said was the greatest person that ever lived, and yet he ended up beheaded. And he ended up in a jail by himself. And we learned that God can still be loving, yet not change your immediate circumstance. In fact, what we discovered was that we're reminded that he changed our eternal circumstance. And that's what we go back to. And that is the core of our relationship with him. And then last week, what we learned was, as as, uh, we were unpacking, 2 Corinthians 12, we were learning that we can receive adversity as a gift with a purpose of his will and the promise of his grace. That there may be very a very good chance that I will be in a season of my life and I receive it as a gift not knowing what God will do with it and also knowing that he will give me the grace to endure whatever adversity that I'm in. And we also mentioned that There are, there's a chance that you've met these people, these unique people that get into a season of life and they hate the situation they're in, but they're completely at peace with God. Have you met these, these, these spiritual weirdos? I mean, they're, they're, they're absolutely frustrated with their job and and they're struggling with their marriage and they can't stand their health. But when you press into them, they're completely at peace. They have this joy that you read about. I mentioned the other week I had a college friend who um, his father ended up getting cancer. And he was only given three months to live, but he ended up living 15 years. And, and, you know, Mike and I, the gentleman, his name was Mike, and he told me about the situation. And I told him, I said, hey, I mentioned your, your, uh, your dad in my sermon the other week. He said, well, if you're going to really tell the story, you need to really talk about my mom. See, my mom went from full-time mom to full-time caregiver. My mom had to punt all the dreams she ever had. I, he said, I can remember walking into my, ro- walking into my mother's room, and my father's room, and I remember I was vacuuming, and I remember the vacuum went over these two little, these two little carpet spots that they were gone. And I wonder where, what's happening to the carpet, and I was joking with my mom, and she said with tears in her eyes, baby, that's where I pray at night. I've been wearing out that, that carpet with my prayers. And the reality, he said, was, No, look at my dad, and that's a great story, but if you know the full story, you've got to see the attitude of my mother who cared for him in his sickness. But can't we be some of those people who have this joy, who have this peace that transcends our circumstances? And the good news in the midst of all this is that the New Testament authors weren't strangers to being stuck, to being in Tough situations, yet being at peace with God. They did not see a conflict or a contradiction with God being a good God, yet still having some bad adversity. They saw no contradiction in that. And yet, for us, it's very difficult because we think that if He's a good God, then I need to have a good life. And then my life should be working out in the way that I see it. And so, we're going to look at back, we talked about the Apostle Paul last week, we're going to talk about Paul again. Because he is a great picture of someone who was able to endure while being stuck. Um, If you have your Bible, uh, you can go to the book of Philippians chapter 4. And if you don't, you can look up on the screen. And by way of background, uh, I mentioned last week that Paul was a a non-Christian Christian. Now, Paul used to kill Christians. Now, I know we're, we're throwing around the word terrorist quite often nowadays, and people are trying to define who a terrorist is. Paul was a terrorist. Paul tried to kill Christians. He tried to commit genocide. He used to get authority from the government to go out and kidnap Christians, and he would, he would just sit around, actually gather the coats of people that would kill Christians. So this was a terrorist, but Paul gave his life to Christ, and he went from being a terrorist to being a missionary, someone who spreads the name of Jesus. So he had a complete transformation. And Paul, in the midst of his missionary journeys, 10 years into his missionary journeys, something happened. Last week, we talked about how he had this, he had this, uh, he had this ailment. Well, something else happens to Paul. Paul ends up in prison for doing nothing but spreading the name of Jesus. Now, here Paul went and put Christians in prison, killed Christians, but now he is in prison for spreading the name and the fame of Jesus Part of the context of the time is there was an emperor named Nero. Now, if you know anything about Nero and if you want to do any research on Nero, one thing to note is that if you were coming up against Nero, you were essentially a dead man. He had no problem killing Christians. This was his MO. So now Paul is in prison by Nero, and for the most part, game over. If Nero puts you in prison, you're about to die. And if you were to read the full context of the book of Philippians, he even mentions how he presumes this might be it for me. His dream was to be this global missionary and to travel all around the world telling people about Jesus. And here Paul has this tension I want to be able to spread your name and your fame. I have this dream of going across the globe, and now I'm in prison for doing the very thing I thought you wanted me to do. Crazy thing about Paul is I think we put it up there. Paul writes what are called the prison epistles. These are letters that Paul wrote while he was in jail. And while Paul could not travel, he would actually write letters to places that he had been. So he ended up writing you know, Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians and Philemon. And that may not resonate with you, but, you know, the whole concept of loving your wife like Christ loved the church, he wrote while he was in prison. And he wasn't even married. How about that? The power of that is that while he was stuck, he was still faithful. While he knew he couldn't do what he dreamed of doing, he he did what he could do. He was faithful in the context he was in. And now we are blessed because he could not have known that writing that letter would now be in this book called the Bible and thousands of years later we'd be reading it. He couldn't have known that. And so there is some imagery of what do you do when you are stuck? What do you do when life with God has not met your expectations? And Paul gives us this imagery. Look in Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. This is so funny. Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. Paul says it this way. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity. Now, what he's talking about when he says you renewed your concern, he's talking about a care package that was actually sent to him. Now, understand, prisons at this time are not prisons of today. Prisons of today, you have Time Warner Cable, you can watch the game, you can get your menu right. If you were in prison at this time, the only people that fed you were your friends, the only If you got cold, if you wanted a scarf or a cloak, it was from your friends sending you a care package. If you were going to eat, it was because of your friends. So you would think the urgency of a care package is at the top of his mind. I know in my ministry right now, in my life, that's where I would be. How am I going to eat? What am I going to do when I get cold at night? A care package is a big deal. So he's like, listen, I'm glad you renewed your concern for me. Thank you so much. But look what he says in verse 11. He says, indeed, uh, in verse 10, he says, indeed, you were concerned for me, but you had no opportunity to show it. Now, and he has no reason to do this except to try to teach them a deeper truth. I'm not saying this because I am in need. Well, you are in need because you need to eat. But he says, in essence, I want you to know that if you had not sent a care package, God would have still cared for me. I just want, and you know, it's funny because he's kind of like, don't get it twisted. I don't need you. Kind of. He's kind of saying that. And we only hear people say stuff like that when they're bitter, right? Like when they leave you and they break up. And it's like, no, I'm good. I'm content in the Lord. I don't need you. But he didn't need to say this because he was bitter. In fact, he had been blessed by them. So there was nothing negative in what he was saying. He's trying to teach them a lesson. I know that you thought, hey, how is he going to eat? But I just don't want you to get it twisted. If you couldn't have sent it, if you didn't send it, I'd have still been good. Wouldn't you want to learn how to live that way? If you don't send me food, God will provide. Many of us would be desperate and dependent on the people. But yet his desperation and his dependence is on his God. And so, you know, so he just kind of turns this corner and he says, I have learned to be content Whatever the circumstance. I have learned to be content in whatever the circumstance. Contentment is this idea of self-sufficiency. We could even say a a God-sufficiency. If any situation you put me in, I'm good. There is not a context that will bring me down. And he says... I didn't just wake up like that. I didn't just read that one day. I learned that over time. And he says in verse 12 I I know that this is, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it's like to be in plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in every situation. And then this is the context. Look here, he says, whether well fed or hungry. (laughs) <laughs> whether living in plenty or in want. So I'm not going to go into this today, but notice he says, I learned to be content even when I had everything I wanted. So, that, so just key word for you if you're struggling with rent, and you're like, it'll be a great day when I double my salary. He's saying even if you double your salary, there's still a need for contentment when you have abundance. So just keep that in mind. Put that in your pocket for that day. I know it's a struggle right now. He says, I've learned the secret. Now, this is where it is really fun to be able to look into how certain books are written and certain languages that are there. When he says, I have learned the secret of being content, learn the secret of being content is all one word. And that one word is the kind of word that if I said it, you know, my friend Rasul, he's, he's a UPenn grad, so he knows all these big intellectual words, you know what I'm saying? But it comes out of a natural, because he's really smart and all that, you know? But sometimes I'll hear it, and I'll try to say it, you know what I'm saying? So I remember when we first met, he said, he said, he said, iconoclast. I was like, word, iconoclast. Say that tomorrow for no reason. I'm going to just say it. <laughs> you know how you say a word to get people's attention? You know how you say something, it's going to wake you up? I'm going to say this. You know, I'm going to throw this word in there. The word that he uses here is not used anywhere else in the New Testament. Christians never use this word, particularly because this word that he uses is actually a word that spoke to how people would be initiated into a mystery cult a cult that you would end up learning new secret information. Now, all y'all fraternity and sorority people know I'm talking about art, art. <laughs> Talking about, right, you, 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 you pledge. You get initiated. And then after you get initiated, you learn the secret, you know, handshake, and ah, ah, you get all the new stuff that you didn't know before, but you had to be initiated into the mysteries, once you got initiated into the mystery, you learned all this new information. I, I pledged a fraternity. I learned all this new information. So he's saying, I've been initiated into the cult of contentment. Okay, I've been initiated. And it took me a, a, a process. It took me some time. But there's this secret that people don't know. And I learned it. And so the, the amazing thing. And don't you want to learn that? And you, you have to ask yourself, well, how did you learn it? What, what did you do? How did you get initiated? I'd like to be initiated. And so before I, before I go into the very famous verse, it's worth noting that <coughs> these are prison epistles that, that Paul wrote he endured all these trials and he had all these travels that he would go around dealing with. And his, He had a willingness to endure hardship, divinely appointed hardship. And yet he, he could have never known that this letter that he was possibly writing to about 40 people would be blessing us today. And there's something about being faithful when you don't know what to do. You're just doing what you know to do. Couldn't Paul have for a moment say, I can't go to the places I dreamed, so I forget. And Nero has put me in this jail. Life is over. Couldn't he have in some ways just decided that life is not worth the living? But instead, he begins to write. He does what he knows he knows to do. And we are blessed by that. Well, in verse 13, he shares with us this mystery, this secret. He says, I can, verse 13, he says, I can do all this, or some would translate it all things, through him, and some people put Christ, who strengthens me or gives me strength. We all know verses that are misapplied. This is, and the reason why this is misapplied, because it's popular. Anything that's popular is going to be used by everybody. You know, I knew this verse before I was walking with the Lord. I can remember getting high and be like, you know, dog, Christ, through you, dog, he'll strengthen you. Why did I do that? Because at the end of the day, I wanted to do what I, I remember being on a football field and went like, through Christ. And we're all quoting this verse. It is a misapplied verse. It's, it's, it's not used in the way that he intended it. We're, I'm talking about, yo, I want to get that job. Or oh, I'm talking about, yo, I want to win this game. Paul was talking about surviving. Paul was like, I know if you don't send me food, I can still do it. So just context means everything. Praise God. Hallelujah. This image that he gives us, I can do all things through through Christ who strengthens me. I just want you to key on one word, and it is the word give. It is not the word I can. And part of the problem is that we look at a verse like this and we're like, I can. I can do anything, yeah. But it's not I can. It is that he will give me strength. He will strengthen me. Whatever circumstance I am in. Wherever I am depleted, he will give me the strength that I need to endure. He will give it to me. That is the beauty of this text, is that I will be given a power that I could not have on my own. But you ask yourself, what is the access? How do I get initiated into this? It begins not by saying, I can't. It really begins by saying, I can't. I can't anymore. I'm single. And, and, I, and, and I'm just, I'm, I'm tired. I just, I'm not going to front anymore. I want to be married. I, I'm, I'm just, I cannot deal with this job anymore. It is frustrating. It is wearing me out. My health, it is just every day, it's something new. I am completely being destroyed by my circumstances. You already, I've even seen the hashtag, I can't. But we need to add a new hashtag, he can Oh, yes, I can't. I can't anymore. I don't have the power anymore. I don't have the strength anymore. But it is in addition to that saying he can. And that it is believing that he will give me the strength that I need. The mystery of contentment comes when we realize that all my resources are depleted. But though I don't have resource, God is the source. It is in him. It's in him. You've heard all the songs. You've sung them. You know it's in him. But it is believing that when all things have failed. It's still believing. It's trusting anyway. It's having faith anyway. And if you are single and someone says to you, you should be married by now, no need to front. I'm struggling with this, but God will get me through it. I can't anymore. I can't pretend, but he can. No matter the context, this should be our mantra. He can. He can. This is where we get our strength. This is how we endure. And Paul's life is a picture to us of having to endure any and every situation. I wonder if you would, just for a second, think about the very thing in your life that is bringing you the most discontentment? What is that thing? I've tried to litter this with examples, but what is the Holy Spirit pressing on you right now to help you to see where you are discontent? What is that place? What is that thing? that thing that is capturing your attention and your affection. Here's the truth. At the center of that discontentment, that is the epicenter of where God wants to work right now. He wants to do something that you know you can't do in and of yourself. And if you would not only give him whatever condition it is, but trust him. He is pressing on you right now to trust him. It is there he wants to be trusted. It is there that he does not want you to give the same platitudes of, oh God, I know you can do it. He wants you to truly believe he can. And he wants you to wake up in the morning and you can with clarity say, I can't, you can, and you can through me, through me. It is through me. You're going to use me. And you will bless people through me. And it is in this moment that we begin to understand this mystery of Christ in us, empowering us, giving us power. Power available. Power to strengthen us. Whatever condition or whatever situation that we're in, that is where God longs to work. And there's no need to play pretend. But it is in this moment and it is in this season that God wants to speak. You know, um, don't you say things to yourself in the morning? Oh my God, another day. Don't you say things to yourself in the morning? Don't you say something when you walk in the house and you're tired of him or her? Don't you say something when you look at yourself in the mirror? Don't you say something when you walk into work and you're dealing with the same things again? Don't you say something in your mind? Could it be that we need to start saying, I can't, and you can, and you can through me? That, that needs to be our new mantra. That you've already, you've already figured out you can't, but you need to start adding He can, and you need to remind yourself He can through me. And you need to tell yourself that every day, and you need to remind yourself of that every day. And there is power available, and if they don't do it, if the situation does not work out in the way that you thought it would, that God will still strengthen you, and you don't know what God is doing, and you don't know what your faithfulness will do, you don't know what your faithfulness can produce. Because... We serve a Christ, a Savior, who, while everyone was telling him he was a fool, and if he was so powerful, he could get down off that cross. But he knew, I'll just be faithful to what I know. I know, I know, I know I am to die. I know I am to take on this cross. And it is through Christ, it is through Christ that he carries this cross. He goes on this hill. He dies for our sin. And it is because of his faithfulness that we now know Christ. We don't know what he'll do, but this is the beauty. This is the beauty of the gospel, that he is not saying that you can. He is saying you can, and he's saying that the Christ that lives in you can and will. The same Jesus, the same Jesus that carried that cross, the same Jesus that rose from the dead, the same Jesus that rose with all power lives in you, so Say it with passion that I can't. Say it with passion he can. And say it with clarity, he can through me. He can through me. I can't do this anymore. I can't do these relationships, I can't, I can't do this life anymore. And if we're honest, some of us are at that place. where you can't even do life anymore. And you're, you're fronting, you're, you know, that fronting muscle where you start fronting for people. You're tired. And then maybe we can just get to the place of being honest and saying, you know what, i I got to stop playing these games. I can't. He can. And you can through me. You can through me. We want to do a a moment of um, communion. But I I feel the Holy Spirit really pressing in on me to just say this. as we get ready for communion. <laughs> I mentioned that I had a, a church in Raleigh and I, I struggled to tell people this because it sometimes can come across the wrong way. But at my church, I was, I was just sad to be there and I couldn't stand it. And um, the truth of the matter is Every day, I could hear in my head the same thing. Just end your life. Every day. And it was crazy how much I just heard these voices in my head to just end it all. And here I am up there preaching to people, and I, and I would be depressed when I got home, and I could hear it again and again just to end it, to end it. And it was in my head for years. Just how I wasn't worth anything and how I just didn't have value and just all these things. But at the end of the day, I just didn't feel like life was worth living anymore. And here I am reading my Bible every day and I'm I'm doing everything they told me to do. And life seems like it's getting worse. And I can presume that in a crowd this size, that some of those same voices have been ringing in your heads too that life isn't worth living and that you can't anymore. And some of you, though you may not have enacted a plan or thought through a plan, you're wondering, wouldn't it be better just to end it all? Wouldn't it be better just to short-circuit my life? But I want to just preach hope into your life that even though it is dark right now, You have no clue what your faithfulness will produce. You don't know where you'll be in the next five years. And I wanna encourage you to stay faithful to the God that loves you. And to trust. Let me pray. Jesus, you are initiating us into community of contentment, to be God-sufficient. God, we long, we long to be out of the situation that we're in, but we are tempted to exalt a new situation as our new God. And we are tempted, God, to run tempted to go into fantasy, and we're tempted to go back to old relationships and to do old things that we know do not honor you. And for those that don't know you, Lord, people that are not in relationship with you, God, I pray that they would today just know that there is a God who loves them. to continue on this journey of discovery. Holy Spirit, right now, give us the freedom to say that we cannot anymore. Give us the freedom and the confidence of knowing you can, and teach us the mystery of Christ in us. Teach us the mystery of the Holy Spirit. Teach us the mystery of your power. Teach us the mystery of contentment. Teach us how to be strong, not in ourselves, but strong in the Holy Spirit. And I pray that the spirit of the living God would just fall fresh on us. Remind us of the power we already have within. God has given us the power to endure the condition we're in. God has given us the power to endure the condition we're in. So Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, remind us that you're there. Empower us in Jesus' name, amen. Right now, we are going to have communion. Communion, interestingly enough, is this moment that we remind ourselves. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body which has been broken for you. He said, take and eat. He also had a cup. He said, this this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Take and drink. And in so doing, we are proclaiming the Lord's death. And today, if you are on a journey, wherever you're at spiritually, spiritually, It is okay for you not to feel pressured into taking the elements. This is really a moment for those who believe that the Holy Spirit, that Christ lives inside of them. This image right now is the picture of the promised Holy Spirit, Christ in us, empowering us. And so as you take of the cup and as you take of the bread, I pray that even as you swallow and you drink, it is a symbolic picture of not being alone. And it is a picture of the power that lives inside. Um, We are going to have a moment where the worship team will come up. What we like to do here is we know that this is kind of a moment between you and Jesus. So feel free to come and when you take the drink, Drink in your own time. When you take the bread, eat the bread in your own time. But do whatever business you need to do with Jesus right now. Allow this to be a moment with, between you and your God. One of the last things I'll note is that in Matthew chapter 7, it talks about before you go and give your gift at the altar, make sure you are reconciled with your brother or sister. This really is one of the most intimate moments we have with Jesus. Yet the scripture tells us, how can we love God yet hate our brother? And so this is really a moment, not only for us to grow closer with Christ, but it is also a moment for us to grow closer with one another. If you feel like you have unreconciled relationships in the body, if there are people that you need to do business with, that you have an account with them, there's something that needs to be dealt with, This is really the moment to do that as well, for you to be reconciled. And we've had many people come to us and tell us, man, I'm so glad you reminded me of that. We walked in here and we had some issues and we talked about it before we took communion. Or we didn't even take communion that day because we had to talk. Let me pray. Jesus, I just pray over these elements. They are not your actual body. They are not your actual blood, but they remind us of what you've done for us for those who feel that they are they couldn't get po- couldn't get farther from God. Today is this picture of how he wants to be close. God, I pray that you for those that are not certain of their relationship with you. I pray God that today would be the day of salvation and that they would trust you and depend on you. Feel the freedom to talk to someone and tell them that you want to go deeper with Jesus. Now, God, bless these elements and bless this moment. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Again, as we sing, uh, let us stand. You'll just come up in your own time as we sing. Take the elements and do business with your God.